The nail in the coffin! It's episode eight of The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He's Travis Yuley. And for the first time, we are recording on Sunday night. I would like to tell you that we were so inspired by the Browns' victory today that we just couldn't wait to record in the middle of the week. But uh, that's really not the truth. Um, The actual story is that uh, Travis and I recorded an episode on Thursday night and for various reasons thought it ended up turning out like junk. So we made the decision to dump that one and run it back tonight. So, Trav, I guess we call this episode 8.1? Yeah, this is, we'll call this our mulligan. All right, I'll take it. So uh, since the last time we were on the pod here, um, we found out where Ohio State's going to be going for their bowl assignment. And you and I were texting last Sunday when the bowl game matchups were announced. And uh, I was at a, uh, I had taken my daughter to a children's birthday party and in between chasing her around bouncy houses, I was texting with you and you were, uh, I'm not going to say apoplectic over Ohio State getting assigned to the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame, but you were not happy. Seven days later, are you feeling any better or any different? Um, I, I don't know that I, I think I was a little more stunned at the time. I didn't think there was any chance that uh, Iowa was going to stay ahead of them after losing to Michigan State. Um, I thought for sure that we'd be going to the Rose Bowl against Stanford, and I thought that would be a pretty good game. Um, it would have been. Yeah, and I think it would have been appealing. I'm not sure. Part of me thinks that it might have been um, the committee's way of sort of just rewarding Iowa for maybe like a bounce-back type season or something and saying, hey, they, you know, they won undefeated in the regular season and they deserved, I guess we'll, we'll let them go to the Rose Bowl, but it, it, it kind of harkens back to what they've said they're going to do um, and what they actually do hasn't necessarily been the same. Um, we've heard them say all along their, their, their ultimate goal is to, you know, rank teams in order of how good they think they are. And I, I have a hard time thinking anyone on that committee would, you know, man-to-man, or if Condoleezza was the one, woman-to-man, say to you, yeah, we think Iowa's better than Ohio State. So that's sort of where I came down, and I thought for sure they would say, hey, whichever whichever team lost that, whether it was Michigan State or Iowa, that team would drop below Ohio State. Ohio State would probably move up to five or six and go to the Rose Bowl, and that was sort of what I expected, but it it doesn't still make a ton of sense to me, but, I mean... I'm not. I'm not that mad about it. I'd love to go hang fifty on the domers and relive 2006 all over again. Yeah, I um a, a couple thoughts on this. I, I think on the eye test, I'm I'm with you, and I really feel like I mean, if we're being really honest with ourselves, if you put Ohio State and Iowa on the field and tell them to play, who's going to win? I. I just have a hard time believing Iowa would beat them. I guess it really came down to resumes, but here's what I thought was a little strange about that. So you basically had 
each of them with one loss to the exact same opponent by three points. And they each had one top 25 win. And I think Michigan, Ohio State's win, it was a big blowout win. And Michigan ended up like 14th in the standings. And North or Iowa's big win was over Northwestern. And I think they finished 13th. And it was a, a big blowout win. So, like, in that respect, their resumes kind of washed each other out. I, and I guess the only thing that you could say is they were getting rewarded for playing in the running the table through their division, but I just don't think their division was as good. And I think they greatly benefited from not having to play Ohio state, Michigan or Michigan state in the regular season. And the thing that I thought was the oddest part of this was the margin between their two resumes was so razor thin. And yet somehow there's a team between them in the standings uh, by the that the committee released after last weekend, and I understand, yeah. I understand that it, functionally it makes no difference whether Stanford is six or seven because they were going to end up in the Rose Bowl against Iowa anyway. But like, it just was like, I, I don't know, it, it was just odd. Yeah, I think I don't know. I feel like at the end of the season you're supposed to look, generally your last performance is is typically a tiebreaker of sorts and i don't know that anyone looked better in their last game than ohio state did um iowa certainly didn't look that strong um i mean it i hate to make this excuse because it's kind of a lame one and i'll admit that but um ohio state that ohio state michigan state game was played in horrible weather in weird conditions and yeah they lost so okay that counts as a loss against them Iowa looked like, I think they looked pretty much equal to how Ohio State looked against Michigan State, and they were playing in a dome. Um, They still didn't look that good. And yes, Ohio State also did not look good in that game. But everyone that's watched that team is able to identify that that Michigan State game was more of a aberration than it should have been um, like an expected performance from them. So... I think that was sort of where I was coming from is everyone knows that Ohio state is better than they played that one day. They showed it the following week. No one's really been that sure about Iowa all year. And did they do anything really against Michigan state to say, yeah, they're actually really good. I didn't think so, but I guess it's, it's sort of a moot point to argue about it at this point. Um, just because I don't know, it'll be a fun game against Notre Dame and, you know, good for them, I guess. Well, and and just for everybody listening out there, we will definitely get into breaking down the whole Ohio State-Notre Dame matchup in the Fiesta Bowl here probably in a couple weeks. I think that week between Christmas and New Year's, we're uh, working on putting together a big New Year's Day preview for all the big bowl games that will be coming up. But just getting back, you would mentioned that aberration game for Ohio State where they lost to Michigan State. And just thinking about it, other than the Michigan game, if you take any game on their schedule, if you if you were told they're going to lose one game on their schedule all year, I don't think you could have had a worse scenario for which game it was that they lost. Like, they could have lost to Hawaii 
in their Any non-conference. Other game would have been okay. Yeah, they lose. I think with the tiebreakers, Michigan would have gotten to go to the Big Ten championship game, and Ohio State would have been the odd one out again. So it basically would have been the same. But like before that Michigan State game, if you had any one single game that they would have lost, and instead they beat Michigan State, Ohio State's in the Big Ten championship game. Take your chances against Iowa. I think we're both of the mind that they would beat them. And they're in the playoff right now. I mean, even if it was like one of the Mac schools or or Hawaii or Vatech in their non-conference schedule, and it's just so strange to me that they got pretty much the worst possible scenario they could have come out with for one loss, and it was losing the hardest game on their schedule. It's sort of funny. There's two plays this season that pretty much dictated what. Uh sort of sort of the, the playoff matchups and it's that uh that botched punt that Michigan had against Michigan State which looking back Ohio State fans loved at the time um if that had not happened uh Ohio State would have been in the Big Ten championship game um and then there is this uh, I'm not sure how many people saw it but there was a uh, when Arkansas played Ole Miss they converted a fourth and 25 in overtime to win that game essentially so they were losing by a touchdown they converted a fourth and 25 if they don't convert that Ole Miss is then in the the SEC championship game and Alabama's on the outside looking in so there's like these these couple these two like random fluke plays that at the time people were like oh that's a crazy play but looking back it had a huge impact on the season even though um especially in that Ole Miss-Arkansas game, neither one of those two teams is really in the conversation for anything right now. So it's interesting to think about then that Alabama, you're saying, would get squeezed out because they wouldn't have gotten to play in their conference championship game. Well, Iowa right. Iowa finished fifth in the standings. Would we have had Iowa at number four and have two Big Ten teams in? No, I think Stanford would have jumped them probably. Yeah, but theoretically Everybody that should make no that. difference. Well, it depends how Ohio State beat them too, though. Yeah. If Ohio State went to that game and they ran them off the field, then they probably would have dropped more than one spot. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think we all understand, like, these rankings aren't 100% them ranking them by how, how good they think the teams are. They're trying to um, finagle and set up everything how they kind of want it to be and using the rankings for that, which... There's okay, a little bit of gerrymandering to... going on with right. the... Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So... I think, say, I mean, just like we kind of saw here, Iowa played Michigan State that close, and they didn't lose the game until there was 20 seconds left in the game. Can you, if if you really think Iowa that good, would it have been a huge stretch to say they're better than Oklahoma, who was fourth, because they played neck and neck with Michigan State, and that's the only team that beat them all season? I mean, you can do that argument all day, but you know that when they put those rankings together, they're looking at things and saying, well, here's how we think it should be. I think it's going to be very difficult over for as long as this contract runs. I think it's supposed to go for another nine or ten years where they're saying it's pretty much settled that it will only be four teams. Um, but I think it's going to be really difficult for any conference to get two teams in. Probably. because they because, Just because they kind of want to settle. They don't want to run off the assumption that these conferences are so good, like they've been doing for the SEC for the last decade. Um, just because historically SEC always gets that benefit of the doubt, and then 
I mean, then you, you have a bowl, a bowl season, season last like year, last yeah, year, they exactly. Get, yeah, they get barnstormed by everybody. So I think they're probably going to, and I'm okay with that, honestly. I think that's an okay way to go about it. Is keeps the regular season valuable, too. It rewards you for winning your conference, and it makes the conference race more valuable and meaningful. That's not a bad thing. Definitely, and I think that was one thing that I was sort of worried about with the playoff system is that I don't know that there's any sport where the regular season is as important as college football. Um, So I didn't want that to be, like, tainted or watered down at all and i think i honestly i I expected it to be but i don't think it really has been impacted that negatively by it um simply because you know i mean the good thing about it is you don't have an alabama just backing its way in because everyone thinks they're the best team with only one loss there's a couple more teams that now have a chance to go knock them off and prove to them that hey we were just as good as that team if not better um so I'm, i'm happy about that obviously and I think um, it's actually made the conference championship weekend even a bigger deal than it was under the BCS system because somehow, don't forget, there was that year, I think it was, geez, it probably was 10 years ago now, that Oklahoma had run through the regular season and everybody thought they were great and they went and got blown out in their conference championship game against a much lower-ranked team that really didn't factor into the uh, BCS equation and they the um, BCS uh, voter uh, you know the, the people that voted and the computers and everything else were just like eh they had done enough at that point they deserved to be in anyway and yeah, yeah I think you're thinking of 03 they got I think they got the hell kicked out of them by Kansas State we ended yeah. up Ohio State ended up beating Kansas State in the Fiesta Bowl that year yep um, but yeah that was they backed in and everyone thought uh i think it was usc that got left out yes so usc got left out and everybody thought usc was one of the two best teams anyways but the computers at the time were not friendly um to the pac-12 or pac-10 at the time um so yeah usc got left out i don't remember what they did in the bowl season i think they i think they crushed somebody like i don't remember who i want to say maybe it was vatek or someone but no, I they think they won. The, they they were in the Rose Bowl. I think they beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Oh, that's right. Michigan did go to the Rose Bowl that season. That's right because yeah. they uh, that was when they managed to beat Trussell, um, that one time. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the blind no, squirrel found a nut. It was yeah, exactly. Um, but no, that was yeah, that was a weird fluky season. And then there was the season where um, LSU beat Alabama in the regular season. Alabama somehow got back into the championship game despite not playing in their conference championship game and beat LSU, which I think was the worst worst thing that happened during the BCS. I think that was a joke that it that that game that everyone thought was a huge deal ended up being essentially meaningless. Um, but I don't that's, think that's sort. Of, that's I, I don't I don't think the SEC has won a national championship since that happened because uh, I. Th- or did, or did no, Auburn, Auburn win it Auburn after? Won it in 2011. Okay, so that um, was the year after Auburn won it, and then it was uh, Florida State and Ohio State, and and now uh, we get to this year. So. Yeah, I think I actually I think the last Alabama won. I think Alabama won it in 2012, didn't they? And did that they? was I that yeah because they killed Notre Dame. Oh, that's they right. Crushed Notre Dame. 
Yeah. But that I was, I think, the LSU one, I think was 2010, maybe. I, I blocked that that one against Notre Dame out of my mind. I had yeah. uh, I lost a lunch bet with my dad over that game. So, and I all I needed Notre Dame to do was keep it within ten points. And when uh, when Brian Kelly, the uh, Notre Dame coach, they asked him at halftime like what his team could do in the second half, and I think his answer was like we could pray or we could hope they don't come out of the locker room. Oh jeez, I, 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 I don't think I watched much of that game. I still, uh, still he he even much. like threw up his hands, and I remember like my dad was over watching the game, and I just told him like, so what do you want Where, on your burger? You <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's funny. Yeah, I still look back at Gene Smith for blowing that for Ohio State. They would have been. I think they could have taken Notre Dame that year, and had they been eligible to go to the Big Twelve or Big Ten championship game, and then go to the. Cha- uh, title game i i have zero doubt they would have beaten notre dame that team was just out of gas and i I don't think they were honestly really that good that year yeah Um, they got lucky a couple times they were okay but i don't think they were one of the two best teams in the country and oh well the the real championship like that the real championship game that year was probably the sec championship game because georgia came within about a yard of beating Alabama and there was Oh that's right. That, that was, was a, a great game. Yeah, thing. Horrible clock management if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah, they just completely screwed up at the end of the game. Was that Aaron Murray? Was that the quarterback yeah. in Georgia? Yep. Yeah, that was that was a good game, but you're sitting there yelling at your screen like, No, you can't do that. Yeah. I wanna say a guy got like he needed to go out of bounds and he tried to fight for extra yardage or something. Exactly. Oh yeah. that was brutal. Yeah. Oh, but, Oh, well, well, hey, nice trip down memory lane. It was. Um, speaking of nice things, hey, let's uh, let's talk about the Cavs. We uh, we got uh, Iman Shumpert back on Friday night, and Kyrie Irving sounds like he is well enough to play. Although he's not going to be playing against Boston on Tuesday, sounds like they're going to bring him back at some point this week. Um, next game after that Tuesday one would be at home against Oklahoma City. And throwing him in his first game back against Russell Westbrook would be pretty mean. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Wise, maybe but... maybe Friday? I don't know. So it sounds like we're getting him back, and uh, we're going to have the whole crew together finally. What's, yeah, uh... I'm excited. I'm excited to see everybody out there, you know, finally uh, start working on what the team should look like come summertime. Because, um, I mean, that's, that's what we've all been talking about, and that's what we're planning on. But I, I, I don't think you necessarily – while these games, regular season games, aren't necessarily meaningful, each one individually doesn't really have much impact on anything. Um, I think, like we've said a couple times, it's still important to use every game to work on that chemistry, work on uh, getting everybody in their role so everyone knows what they're doing and is on the same page, and finally being able to uh, work on the, I think the offense just needs to sort of gel one, Kyrie's the one, come in in the ball like he normally should be as opposed to uh, LeBron sharing it with Mo Williams or whoever the case is. Yeah, you know, there's just a a lot of things about the Cavs psychologically this year that I think has been kind of the most interesting angle to follow with them. I think there was, if whether the team would admit it or not, certainly the fan base would. I think there was just a general sense that um, there was almost a built-in uh, explanation where if anything went wrong in the first couple months, it was, well, we don't have our starting backcourt, which is true. And that's a hundred percent fair. But I think if you looked at the way they played 
down the stretch last year and especially into the playoffs when guys went down, it was almost like they doubled down and got even tougher and nastier because they were playing almost like a wounded animal because you knew those guys weren't coming back. Whereas this year it's like, yeah, well, they're coming back. It's just a matter of time. And um, I, I and I, it was interesting a few weeks ago when LeBron kind of went in on them through the media just talking about the way Golden State's been approaching this season versus the way the Cavs have. And it's the Cavs acting like they won it last year when they didn't. Um, and he's really been kind of driving them to take this more business-like approach to playing and, and just how they're, they're doing everything. It's, you know, banning J.R. Smith from riding his hoverboard into the arena. It's uh, not participating in the player introductions and all the other stuff. Um, Quick PSA real fast. Yeah. If you're not aware, people, most of those hoverboards are incredibly cheaply made, like over in China. Don't buy them for your kids this holiday season. I've seen like multiple instances of like houses burning down. So a lot of people think they're cool and you can find them on like Amazon for fairly cheap. Don't do it. Continue. Really? Yeah. I saw uh, some lady the other day. The kid took it out, unwrapped it. It was like a birthday present. Unwrapped it. Started using it like two seconds later. The thing is on fire. Their house burned down. No shit. Yes. Wow. All right. Well, when we get done Anyways. here, I'm, I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and in the post production, I'll uh, dub in that uh, NBC. The more you know, sound effect. Uh, yes. Thank you. So. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no. Anyway, just the, the the one thing I really wanted to to say is I, I think it's important for the Cavs to still be who they are and taking a business like approach is important and I think it's good, but it also doesn't mean you have to be miserable because like there have been some games, like when they've had these losses, they were treading water there for a few weeks. So they just looked like they had the weight of the world on their shoulders again. And you could just see they're getting tense in these situations. Like the, the new Orleans game, I thought was a really good example of this in terms of it got really tight down the stretch. And rather than trusting what they do, and doing the things that make them successful, moving the ball around, you know, that's the one of those favorite phrases that David Blatt's had since he came in here was the ball has energy. The more it moves, um, you started seeing that New Orleans game and it really got me aggravated where like every play down the stretch, it was four guys on the baseline, LeBron out front, Tristan Thompson coming out and setting the screen and running the, the pick and roll from there. And it's like that play it, 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 the ball gets stuck and, and you start getting these empty possessions that play, you know, it might work. And, and I know LeBron was having a lot of success going to the basket. Although when he had a chance to win it at the end of regulation, he pulled up for a fadeaway, which also had me um, scratching my head. But um, the, the thing is like, we know what, what happens there. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's a known commodity that set. And it's important now to be using these games instead of treating them like a punishment or um, a time in the penalty box while you're just waiting to, to get out there and play the, the postseason, uh, make the most of these. Uh, work on getting your other guys some reps in crunch time. And when you need a basket in the final minute, you know, set up Kevin Love on the block and, and let him go to work. And, and if it fails at this point, this is when you want that happening. You, you right. want to work through those growing pains now. Get him comfortable to, you know, getting shots and getting the ball in his hands with the game on the line. And yeah, it'll be the same thing with, 
with, with, with Kyrie. And, it, you know, that game last year, I remember at San Antonio in the regular season, it was one of my favorite games I've watched in, in probably the last 10 years. And it was because the whole reason the Cavs, the comeback at the end of regulation and then in overtime, it was Kyrie Irving going nuts and Kyrie making the buzzer beater to force overtime. And he ended up with, I think, 57 that night. And it was like we had another guy who really showed with the game on the line. He wasn't afraid to go out and take the big shot. And I think that's really important for their team to develop those multiple weapons. Yeah, I think it's a great chance for them to to figure out. I mean, because even when Kyrie comes back, there's still going to be parts of games where um, he's going to be on the bench. And if you can work on the situations in the personnel groups now where you can really, instead of when Kyrie is maybe out, stretch a lead instead of sitting on it sure um and if you have those guys who've played a lot throughout the year together with with the same guys on the uh on the floor i think you'll see major dividends for that even if it's only for four or five minutes at a time in in random games and it may not uh step um, stick out that much to you when you're watching the game but it'll be those those games that they're playing in october november december january that really make that difference um down the road and and yeah like you said and like we've said several times it's a great opportunity to get more comfortable and i mean we've already seen there's times where Kyrie is is fairly fragile to to be generous um you mean physically yes yes yeah, oh, yeah mentally no i don't think he is at all but yeah he's um, got a little bit of the dog in him mentally he I, does I, he's, yeah he's a scrapper man he's a fighter i like him yeah. i mean I love his mindset. Um, but I think even in the playoffs or at any point throughout the season, there's going to be instances where he might even need to take a game off. He might tweak something. He might just not be able to get out there and play. But you you won't have that excuse anymore. Um, you had it last year. I don't think you can use it again this year. Um, so you really need to – I mean, like we've said, you can't sit around waiting for him to come back, I don't think. No, and I just I think overall you you can't just sit around waiting for the playoffs to start and just yes it's ab- yeah and it's don't get me wrong it's absolutely important to get everybody healthy and in the the right frame of mind and peaking uh, one when uh, April rolls around but at the same time at the same time I think it's really important to be getting that work in during the regular season and, and not just um, you know, kicking these games around because, I mean, you really look at it, the Eastern Conference is noticeably better than it was last year. And that held through the first month, and, and we're getting halfway through the second month, and it's still the case, and I still think the East has a, a better record than the West in those interconference games, and that's what the Warriors at 24-1. and one. And the Warriors, too um, – they're better than they were last year. And can they keep this up all the way into June? I, I don't know. I think they're going to regress a little bit. I mean, the odds would seem to say that. But I just I think it's dangerous to take the notion and, and, and run with the thought that, well, the Cavs got to within two wins of winning the title last year. And had they just had everybody healthy, then they would have won it. Maybe they would have, but it's a new year and the competition around them is getting better. So I just, I don't think it's enough to just say like, well, let's just be healthy this year and we win. Yeah, I agree. And I think, 
I don't know. I've I've been I've been sort of uh, sort of frustrated with I guess the way that, that LeBron's been leading his play's been his play's been fine. Um, but some of some I feel like he's a bit uh, schizophrenic or bipolar. It seems like at times, like sometimes he's all up in guys' faces and yelling at them and you know trying to give them that sort of like tough leadership to get guys on board or whatever the case is and get everybody like focused on business and then other times he seems very like playful and he's all like friendly with everyone and doing all his handshakes and all this stuff and i i don't i mean he knows far more than either you or i about what would work with that team um but i'd rather he sort of stick with uh, what they, I don't know. At times, I feel like he maybe is trying to do too much of that, and I, I think for him, of... it, no, I Go was ahead. just gonna. I, I think, I, I think with LeBron in in terms of leadership, I think for him the big thing is it's really a case by case basis with each teammate. Whereas a guy like J.R. Smith, who has a tendency to be a little bit of a knucklehead and maybe start throwing up some careless shots or taking stupid fouls and doing you know some of the other stuff that would make you pull your hair out as a coach you've also got a guy like Timo Mozgov where if he doesn't get off to a good start and turns the ball over first couple touches he gets in the post or misses a couple of point blank shots or uh, gets himself into early foul trouble he can get really down on himself and then basically take himself out of the game and he needs a little bit more encouragement whereas you know JR needs to get uh, maybe a little bit more tough love. Um, so it's trying to find the balance and, and keep them. You also, the other thing I think that's really important is it's a long season and you know, your message is going to start wearing thin. If you just keep saying the same thing every single day and you keep, you know, running guys through the wall every single day. Yeah. And I think I, I'll say the one that I've been consistently impressed with is he doesn't seem to, feel the need to get on uh, Kevin Love anymore. Um, I think he has this season shown a lot of like trust in Kevin to do what, what he's supposed to do. If, if, if he's missing shots or whatever the case is, they're not falling. LeBron doesn't get on him. He knows he just says, Hey, keep shooting. There was a couple times in that uh, trailblazers game last week um, where it was the tale of two teams uh, between the first and second half where multiple instances where I saw like something you know just for whatever reason it was either Love's fault or someone else's fault but something didn't go wrong and he, he made it a point to go up to, to Love just pat him on the head say hey keep doing it you're doing fine whatever the case is I do think at times especially last year uh, Love had a tendency to sort of like we just said uh, kind of check out of games if things aren't going right right off the bat just because I think he was unclear about his role and um, wasn't necessarily as comfortable on the team as you would have liked him to be. But, yeah, I think LeBron, if there's one guy on the team that LeBron's like, hey, that guy doesn't need me to get in his face. He doesn't need me to tell him what to do. He knows what to do. It's a good thing that Kevin Love is that guy, I think. Yeah, there's – don't get me wrong. I think Kevin Love has still had a couple of clunkers this year. But, by and large, he's been much, much better. And I think he's deserving of an all-star spot. Um, and I think there are three big reasons why he's looked better overall this year. Number one, absolutely, I think he's gelling with LeBron a lot better. And they definitely seem to have developed more chemistry 
and maybe that's a blessing in disguise with having Kyrie missing the first uh, 10 weeks or so just because it's kind of given those two guys a little bit more time to, to, to work together um, and not have too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, number two, I think they're using him a lot more effectively. He's getting a lot more post touches this year. He, he's gone on the record and saying he likes to work inside out, get started with shooting inside before he gets uh, his uh, looks the from the, to sure. the perimeter. Yeah, and, and he's even said he's kicked himself when he starts getting a little bit too three-pointer happy. Um, and the third thing, I think, and really I don't know that has gotten too much discussion is just physically how much better Kevin Love looks this year, how much better he's moving. Just last year, I don't. they didn't really make a huge deal of it, but his back, I know, was an issue. You could just see in the way he was moving, especially on the second night of back-to-backs. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that in addition to getting his shoulder right, I think that layoff over the summer and, and the treatment he got and, and the work that he put in over the summer – um, I think his back, it certainly looks like, just from my perspective and what I see when I watch these games, he just looks like a, a different guy out there and, and much closer to what he was doing in Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I think even though he, he knows he's not the number one guy, he plays like he is. Um, he's He seems much more confident in his own abilities to do everything. I, I think last year maybe he had a little bit of insecurity about, hey, if I do something wrong here, am I going to have to hear about it? from LeBron and I think he's over that he he knows what he's able to do and yet he's more likely to speak up and say hey I can be more effective if we do this type of stuff so that's what you want him to do and that's what kind of where you need him to be at so the fact that they're the fact that yeah like you said Kyrie's not around right now um and they can really focus on building that chemistry is huge um it's it's maybe a silver lining to the uh to the Kyrie injury to begin with yeah. That said, I, I think this is a good time to get the backcourt installed in the lineup, get these guys into the flow and, and get them into the mix. There's going to be some tough games coming up here, Oklahoma City on Thursday night. Uh, I know um, the Warriors game on Christmas Day, that's 12 days from, from now, and I, I don't care what anybody says about it just being a regular season game. I'm going to tell you right now, both of those teams game. are – those those teams are going in there to go to war. That yep. that game's going to matter. You're going to see team. You're going to see both of those teams busting their ass out there, and I think that's going to be really fun to watch. You kind of um, were. So were were you like me rooting for Golden State the last couple of games? I, I'm not going to say I was rooting for. I wanted them. them to, I, I wanted to be the team that did it. I thought that would have been really cool. Yeah, I I I, I will say yeah. In, in that respect, I did want to be the team to, to go in there. I think they, they would have been 28 and at that point. And um, that would have been nice to, to be the team to go in there and do that. Um, How about the stones on those Milwaukee fans getting 24 and one shirts printed out? Did you see that? <laughs> I did not. Yeah. They had probably, probably a hundred people in the crowd. It may have been even more, but they showed a very large section of the arena that had 24 and one shirts Milwaukee's, printed out before um, the game. They're weird because they don't, I don't think they draw particularly huge numbers, but the fans that do go to their games up there are sneaky good. They, they've got a, a pretty decent little um, pocket of fans that is is really into basketball. And I remember a couple of years ago they had created this, uh, I think when Bogut was playing for them, um, he had bought tickets for this group of fans that was like 
creating like an NBA version of almost like a student section. And uh, they were really into the games and, and just doing stuff that you wouldn't see typically at an NBA building otherwise. So um, I did not see those shirts. That's really funny. What I did see, though, that I thought was hilarious was um, all of the uh, the photoshops that started popping up on Twitter. And, of course, you see uh, the crying Michael Jordan on uh, all the Warriors, and um, that, was, uh, that was expected. But what I did not know if somebody would do, I was hoping, and it was even better than I thought it would be, was somebody took um, from WrestleMania 30 when Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker and ended his <laughs> streak. Yes. So it, there were two photos and there was one with the undertaker on a knee, just, you know, hunched over, just dumbfounded. And they, they, they photoshopped Seth, or Stephen Curry's face onto the undertaker with and up in the rafters in the background. You see the scoreboard saying 24 and one. Because they, I think that the Undertaker is twenty and one or twenty one and one. So they they photoshopped it to say twenty four and one. And then next to it, the next picture you see is when Paul Heyman was in the ring holding up Brock Lesnar's hand. They photoshopped instead of Brock Lesnar, it was the Milwaukee Bucks mascot getting his hand raised by Paul <laughs> Heyman. Uh, I I retweeted it last night. I favored it. I I oh I I lost it when I saw. it. I was laughing out loud in bed. That was great. Nice. The yeah, internet is is I. Game. Yeah, as I uh, frequently uh, tell our uh, regular listener, uh, John Warner, uh, the internet remains undefeated. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would go that far. The internet's had uh, pretty bad moments. It, it does, but uh, <laughs> there is always somebody willing to rise to the occasion and come up with a gem like that uh, yes, for the big moments. So, of course. But no, it's actually a... fair. Did you, did you get to watch that game, that Golden State game? No, and you know what? That pissed fairly, me off. It was a pretty entertaining game, though. I tell you what, the the Bucks team there. I, I don't know honestly. I don't know what their record is. I don't think they have a bunch of wins, but that's a team that. I mean, they. That's a pretty. They make them count. They, they beat the Cavs hard. and they yeah. beat yeah, and they beat the Warriors. Yeah, they no. play hard. They show up. They're, they're pretty talented team. I mean, they're probably not going to make it much noise in terms of playoffs or anything like that. But a fun team to watch. No, let me go on uh, get on my soapbox here for a minute. That they moved that game. It was supposed to just be locally televised in in the Bay Area and Milwaukee, and they moved that game onto NBA TV because the Warriors were undefeated and they've been moving all their games onto there if they weren't nationally televised otherwise, mm-hmm. and with the idea being that everybody would be able to see the game. Here's the problem with that. If you're a UVerse subscriber, and I was over at my dad's house last night, and he, like me, has the same tier on UVerse, like the U200 level, where you don't get NBA TV. That's on like a much higher level um, package that includes a bunch of channels that I have no interest in getting. I'm on the so U350. I, I got it. I think it's only like five bucks more a month. I might need to, uh, I might need to step to my to game up. About, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm up for a new contract. Maybe I'll negotiate that. But so, so here was the thing, though. Like they moved it onto that channel in order to get more viewers and it's on a higher tier on the cable package. So I don't get that channel. Meanwhile, it would have been, had they not done that, it would have been on league pass league pass was having a free preview weekend. So I could have watched it on league pass, but because they moved it on the channel to get more visibility, I couldn't watch it. Uh, the ridiculousness of, a, of the TV rare, rules, a rare misfire by, uh, the, uh, a brain trust in uh, NBA headquarters there. So. No, it's funny. My one of uh, my one of I was at 
Thanksgiving, one of my brother's buddies was, uh, he came over to our house for a little bit and he was talking. He's like, yeah, we don't have cable. I don't watch much TV, but I like, but I like to watch the Cavs. He's like, I don't, I like to watch the Cavs. So, uh, I signed up for this league pass and I go to watch it. And it turns out every game is blacked out because they're all on like local cable TV. Right. <laughs> so he's like, I paid like a couple hundred bucks and I called them and I'm like, none of the games I want to watch are actually on here. They're yeah, like, yeah, you, you have to actually get cable. So the game is money back there. I mean, I guess they were fine about it, but it's, it's one of those like sort of funny things. It's not, you really can't see all the games. You can only see the ones that someone else isn't already showing you. Yeah, and that's like, I know a lot of people were making a big deal about the fact that Major League Baseball finally uh, struck their deal with the um, with Fox and some of the other regional sports networks in order to start streaming games. So like this coming season, because Fox Sports owns Sports Time Ohio, um, you'll be able to now watch the Indians games on Fox Sports Go, their, their app, their, their version of Watch ESPN. Here's the thing. Everybody's like, oh, this is a huge victory for cord cutters. It's really not because you're not going to be able to do that unless well, you have a, a cable subscription right. because you go into the Fox Sports Go app. It's the same thing as Watch ESPN. They're going to ask you for your credentials for your cable subscription. Right. So yeah. unless you have a relative that you can uh, borrow credentials from, <clears throat> I'm not going to uh, endorse that right. type of uh, activity, but um, – Unless you're doing that, you're you're up a river. So yeah, and I think I think I wonder though how close we are to those those places offering it as a standalone subscription instead. Um, it's coming. I, I, it's I coming, but I think for some of those, I think it's only going to work. I at least at first, it'll only work on the really big ones. And you've already seen it with HBO. Um, yeah, you can actually do that with Sunday Ticket. Uh, Without having DirecTV, you can sign up and just get the streaming service, which is kind of cool. Um, so those bigger ones, I think that's okay. But for someone like Fox Sports Ohio, those cable providers are your bread and butter. You don't want to piss them off too much. Right. Uh, so I think that's that's when you'll have to, I don't know, that's sort of where the line will be drawn, I think. And I think I read that ESPN is planning to release their own over the top. That's what those like streaming-only services like HBO go and things like that um, are called that over the top. And I think ESPN's planning on doing that. And again, it was one of those situations where when that started being discussed, you're reading articles with like, this is a great victory for people who have just been holding onto their cable subscription for sports. And again, I don't think that's going to be what people are hoping for. Cause like, I mean, you have the calves, they've got the maximum number of national TV appearances allowed under the league contract and less, I'd say maybe 20 of their games are on uh, ESPN. So you're still going to miss 75% of the regular season if you don't have cable because 75% of those games are still going to be on Fox Sports or they're going to be on TNT and it just, it's, I mean, everybody thinks like, well, ESPN Sports, there's a lot of different sports channel um, companies out there now. Um, and I think as more of these TV contracts come up, you're going to start seeing more properties start jumping around to other channels. And there's not going to be one network that's going to be the answer for everything. And I think one that's going to hit home for, for you and or, or would be of interest to you, the, the, the next big one that's going to come up is going to be the Big Ten. 
I think um, there's a lot of talk that that Fox, which already has the Big Ten championship game, they're going to try to get a big piece, if not the whole deal, on um, Big Ten football and, and basketball regular season games. That would be sort of interesting, and I would be disappointed by that because I have not liked Fox's coverage um, historically. Not, not feeling good about Gus Johnson calling. I love uh, Gus Johnson doing March Madness games. Um, the fact that he isn't anymore is criminal. Uh, yeah. If there's anyone who is more suited for a job and Gus Johnson is suited to call March Madness basketball, I dare you to show me that person. Um, but no, that would be interesting. I can, I can recall like the championship games last year, uh, the Wisconsin game. I remember sitting there at times and I was just like, they're not, there's a big play going on. There's stuff happening and they're off doing other shit. It just seems like they historically haven't done a very good job with college football. Now, maybe they get that ironed out and things are better. Um, the more that they do it. So I guess that's possible, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I tend to like ESPN. I like the guys on ESPN. I don't really like ESPN overall as a channel. I think they have a lot of garbage content, but um, I like the guys that they get calling games. So Yeah, I, I will say ESPN for actual game broadcasts is really great, and it was really nice watching Monday Night Football with the Browns on there just because I think – when you're getting the typical Sunday afternoon game because the Browns aren't good, they get a lower level uh, CBS or Fox crew. And yeah, just to see like, that top of the line. Point. Yeah. You know, by the way, do you know who that, uh, the play-by-play guy he was working with, the guy by the name of Joe, Joe Davis? I, uh, yeah. Yeah, Joe, Joe Davis. That he, kind of a, a, a low-profile guy. You know who that is, though? He is um, probably the heir apparent to take over for Vin Scully with the Dodgers. Really? Yeah. They, they've, they hired him um, to do like 50 games working with Vin Scully and, and like filling in on the games that Vin Scully doesn't do um, in 2016. And they're going like out of their way to say like, he's not the, the replacement. And, and, but it's pretty clear if you like read the writing on the wall, it seems like this is a dry run to see how this guy does and and can he fill the shoes so to speak well right. enough to to earn the spot so yeah that guy's gonna uh, joe davis his profile uh seventh string uh fox football now but i think he's going to become a lot more visible very soon but okay. anyway just yeah getting back to just espn i i i know gruden is not for everybody uh, john gruden but i do think um he's pretty good and i do think espn their game coverage, whether it's the NFL with Monday Night Football um, or uh, college football, I, I do think they do a great job. Although I still like Turner better for basketball. Sure, so that's just yeah my two cents. I agree. Yeah, I agree on that actually on both of those. I think the the guys that they have, particularly in, in college, uh, in the college ranks, calling those games are far and away better than any of the other channels I've really, really watched games on. And, and admittedly, I don't watch that many other channels because, I mean, Ohio State's always either on Big Ten Network or ESPN. But yeah. the, the games that I've watched on the Fox Sports Networks and uh, Notre Dame on NBC, it just doesn't – I don't think it really compares in, in terms of overall quality of the guys calling the game. 
and yeah. production value. I feel like a lot of times when I'm watching those other channels, they're they're not showing you what you need to see. Like they'll be off showing some sideline reporter while there's a play going on or guys are talking about one thing and they never tell you what actually just happened and stuff like that. So uh, ESPN does a really good job, I think, of producing those much better than the other ones, at least in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, man, I think uh, that was a totally unexpected Yeah, that uh, sort of took a strange turn at the end, huh? Yeah, I'm not good with it, plan, though. But yeah, good stuff. I liked it. I'm, I'm not throwing this one in the scrap heap like uh, All right. like last Thursday. I, I think uh, 8.1 is going to stand. All right. So uh, let's wrap this up. Anything else that uh, you want to throw in before we go? No, that about does it. Um, All right. Yeah, that's it. Cool. All right. Well, hey, everybody, uh, as always, you can subscribe to our show if you haven't done so already on iTunes or Stitcher or really any other podcast app that you would prefer. And episodes are always available at nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. Just want to let you know, we mentioned earlier that we're going to be doing the college football uh, uh, New Year's Day bowl game preview uh, coming up here in a couple weeks. And we're also working on some other really cool stuff. So we got that in the works. We're going to be trying some different things. It should be fun. So we hope you'll stay tuned. Um, Might get another episode in later this week if anything interesting happens. We'll see how it goes. Otherwise, we will be back early next week at the latest. So talk to you soon. And this has been The Nail in the Coffin. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.